Welcome to another edition of the Here at Haas podcast. I'm your host, Ray Guan, and today we're joined by Daniil Pushkin, a full-time MBA student of the class of 2021. Daniil is a dual MBA slash master's in engineering student, a mathematician, and management consultant who's also passionate about technology. Welcome to the podcast, Daniil. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate that. So you are an international student from Russia. Why don't you tell us about yourself and how you ended up here at Haas? Yeah, so I came from Russia here to Haas. And before getting here, I was working at a management consulting company at McKinsey for almost four years. I think at some point of time, I understood that getting an MBA degree would be the most uh, rational and the most appropriate decision for me. So like a couple of reasons were uh, that like, first of all, I just wanted to investigate some other career opportunities for, for myself. I wanted to consider also not only management consulting, but uh, maybe career in technology, which I was really passionate about. Mm-hmm. I just wanted also to take some pause from like uh, consulting lifestyle and uh, maybe reflect a little bit on my life and my uh, long-term priorities. And uh, finally, I wanted to do everything that I mentioned previously together with my partner and uh, to get an MBA Mm. degree together with Eugenia. Yeah, that's amazing. So she's also from Russia, right? You guys both came over. Yeah, yeah. We were actually tracing each other and we were studying together for seven years in Russia in the same group. And then Mm -hmm. we were both working in consulting and then we like simultaneously decided to pursue an MBA degree. Man, I should have had her on the podcast too. You <laughs> Tell us then, what led you to consider a US MBA and why Haas? Yeah, that's a great question. So we were really considering several options because uh, there are some good business schools in Europe, much closer to Russia, we would be much closer to our families. But eventually we wanted to get mm-hmm. a two-year degree because we heard from everybody that MBA is uh, one of the best uh, times uh, if people lives. And uh, the only thing that uh, mm-hmm. one-year MBA is regretted is that it was a one-year program. So we wanted to go for two <laughs> years, yeah. And uh, that's why we chose um, U.S. business schools. And uh, we actually were both really excited about going to Haas because mm-hmm. of several reasons. First of all, we both are curious about technology. And Haas is known as the school with the largest percentage of graduates that go eventually work in the tech sector. So that's mm-hmm. uh, reason number one. Also, for for me personally, the Bay Area was always like an inspirational place. So it was really mm-hmm. exciting uh, to watch how these uh, companies are founded in uh, in Bay Area and grow from small companies to like unicorns. And I wa- mm-hmm. watched it uh, sitting in uh, in Moscow, and I always wanted like to feel this entrepreneurial drive uh, of Bay Area. Yeah. Have you watched the show Silicon Valley? Yeah, I watched all episodes. Like yeah. now, I'm watching them second time because it's much different. Like when you're already like inside Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because the proximity that Berkeley and Haas is to Silicon Valley definitely provides a lot of opportunities. Whether it's larger tech firms, you know, like Google, Facebook, or startups, 
that are comprised of anywhere between, I guess, like one to 50 people. Yeah. One of the points that I want to circle back with is you mentioned the European MBA being only one year or sometimes 15 months. So, because I actually did a master's at IE University in Madrid. I think that's one of the top maybe 10 business schools in Europe. And you're right. With such an accelerated MBA, oftentimes you don't get the internship opportunity because you don't have that summer in between the two years where you can work for a company and really explore day to day what it's like working in a job or role that you identified as one that you had interest in. Yeah. So super pumped that you're enjoying this experience. So I've actually been to Moscow and St. Petersburg. I went there for two weeks. This is in 2018 during the World Cup. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of differences. So can you describe to us maybe some of the culture shocks that you and your partner received when you guys first came? Yeah, I, w- I would love to do that. So there were lots of like cultural shocking things for me. It's like, first of mm-hmm. all, I was not familiar with uh, like beginning of conversations with all this small talking. And uh, yeah, so uh, Russian people like tend to not have small talks. So like when we meet, we mm-hmm. immediately like go to discuss some bu- either some business or some like main topic. And I understood mm-hmm. that here in the United States, it's really like an important part of the conversation. And I'm now I'm used to it. Yeah. I also was impressed by the diversity of like people with like, di- like different, the diversity of backgrounds, the diversity of points of views, aspirations here. So maybe maybe it's uh, especially specific for Bay Area, but I never been in such a place where where people are so different. And that's actually great because of some cl- clash of different points of views. Uh, some brilliant ideas uh, are born mm-hmm. and uh, raised here mm-hmm. here in Bay Area. So th- that's great. And actually. I also appreciate like the tolerance to mistakes maybe here in the area. So every second person whom I met is like mm-hmm. a serial entrepreneur. So which means that basically s- several startups maybe failed, but some other actually raised up and like both market and society here are quite tolerant to making these mistakes, making experiments and like stimulate mm-hmm. people to, to do it. So I, I really appreciate this cultural phenomenon here. Right. I think that's part of the startup mentality. It's, you know, fail and fail fast and learn from your mistakes so that you can get up and get ready to fail again. And eventually, you know, when you do succeed, it first of all, it, it will taste a lot sweeter and it's a good lesson to have in life as well because we're in our 20s and 30s and that we still have a long path ahead of us. I think the emphasis is mostly on process versus outcomes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like being a student always, like in the Haas value, yeah. There you go. One of our defining leadership principles. Okay, Daniel, so you are the president of the Data Science Club. Why don't you tell us about the club itself and also what led you to pursue a position of student leadership here at Haas? Yeah, so I, I can start from answering your second question why I wanted to to join and lead the data science club. I got my first degree in mathematics, so it's a a very relevant background. And I used uh, data science frameworks uh, while I was getting my first degree. 
I also applied machine learning uh, while working in consulting. So there, I was on an engagement when we built a model of an iron ore plant. And uh, thanks to uh, data science, we managed uh, to increase this productivity. So that was uh, a great and one of the most exciting engagements for me. And eventually I understood that I want my future career to be related with data science and specifically machine learning, because I'm feeling that it will be applied in any industry and huge uh, potential for that. So now let me tell about the data science club itself. So it is like a club of people who are curious and passionate about uh, data science and also data analytics. It unites folks who have, have actually previous background related with data science. And also there are many folks uh, who are actually not so technical from the beginning. And they were they joined the club to get some understanding, the high level um, picture of uh, what is data science, uh, what is machine learning, and uh, how can they apply it in their future work. So there are people with diverse backgrounds in our club, and uh, the club stimulates people to develop uh, in several ways. So first of all, we organize the workshops, just intro to programming languages like uh, Python, R, on SQL, and also intro to data science. We also promote workshops from other uh, societies at UC Berkeley, for example, D-Lab or Machine Learning at Berkeley. So right. data science members can join many, many different events at UC Berkeley. We also organize a speaker series that's called Eat Data and invite um, not only Hass alumni to just uh, tell uh, the students about how they apply uh, data science at their work, Besides that, so there we have just company events like, for example, uh, Salesforce AI workshop, or this uh, year we are planning to do the hackathon. We are still uh, searching for the sponsor because it's a bit challenging in these uh, COVID times, but it's planning to be by the end of semester. And actually, in the beginning of October, there will be an AI summit. It's a big uh, day-long event that will unite uh, a lot of uh, speakers uh, in the AI field. Uh, and there will be also like a panel discussion at the end. That's amazing that there are still a lot of these events that are held in this, you know, pandemic year that we're in. Yeah, and I will have to say, I being a member of the Data Science Club, I went to several of the meetings last year where I think you guys had workshops on Tableau, on R, on uh, Python, I think SQL was one of them. And I have to say, I'm very impressed because you guys served pizza at every single meeting. And it might not seem like a you know big thing, but a lot of the other clubs that I went to, there's no food there. It was just more of a basically a networking thing. You know, they do have drinks, but I suppose maybe drinks and programming don't really go hand in hand. <laughs> so anyway, and I have to also commend you guys for the diversity like you were talking about. I believe the folks who actually gave the presentation on the Tableau training I went to were actually undergrads. And so I was very impressed that you know these, uh, the, these two girls, I think, who were maybe 18 or 19 or 20 years old were given like full on PowerPoint presentations and they were doing it really well. I would say they, they were actually better than some of the people I've seen in my league comp classes. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I agree with you. I was also impressed by yeah, the uh, undergraduate data science clubs. So the folks are so mm -hmm. knowledgeable and they actually know how to teach data science to folks who are older than themselves. And uh, that, that, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, like speaking about your like pizza thing, that's why we called the speaker series Eat Data because uh, they all usually <laughs> they accompany lots of pizza. I, I love it. That's uh, amazing. I can't wait to be back in person just to go to another one of these Eat Data events. So I know a lot of MBA students don't end up graduating and working as data scientists, but you mentioned earlier that there are still ways that we can apply data science in projects, in classes, or even at work. Can you elaborate on some of those applications? Yeah, absolutely. So example of my own experience. For this summer, I uh, was working at Intuit. And for mm -hmm. the interview, I had a take-home case when I needed to analyze the customer feedback and provide some recommendation for product improvements. And there were thousands of customer feedbacks messages. So it will be hard to analyze all of them manually. And uh, th mm -hmm. thanks to the things that I learned in my previous uh, roles and uh, also during attending this data science club workshops, I actually used a neural network and I manually processed just a few messages and then the, the network did everything else. That was uh, very convenient uh, to apply um, this data science framework to this case. It didn't take so much time, but it was uh, um, very effective way to, to, to so solve such a problem. And I can say that data science methods can be applied in any type of work, like whether you, you want to, to be a product manager or any role in the tech industry, or not, not even tech in consulting also, you can apply some elements of data science or just generally data analytics. So in terms of this application, are we talking about something as simple as writing some VBA code in Excel? Would that qualify? Or are we talking about running some programs in Python, in R, in some of the you know more heavier languages that analyze um, the data? Yeah, that's a great question. Or, or that, yeah. So, so mm -hmm. I would say that yeah. typically people who use the um, like machine learning or data science uh, elements, they use some programming languages like Python, and there are a huge amount mm -hmm. of libraries that develop functions that you can just plug and play. Uh, and you do not need uh, to mm -hmm. uh, have really deep understanding of how neural networks work. You can just uh, use them. But uh, mm -hmm. there are some cases when you don't even need uh, the programming language. So there are just uh, available solutions that you can uh, find in the internet that uh, have also built inside machine learning algorithms and uh, very friendly uh, interface. So you can just mm -hmm. know almost nothing about machine learning and still apply these algorithms. Nice. So I'm curious then, did you tell Intuit that you applied machine learning to their case that they gave you? Yeah, actually, I told about that <laughs> during the interview. And honestly, I think it's, it was even like a positive thing. It was like some kind mm -hmm. of signal that I, I know how to use machine learning. I was uh, interviewed mm -hmm. for the technical product management role. So it was like a, re a mm -hmm. relevant skill. So that's actually a perfect segue into what I want to talk to 
next, which is how your summer internship experience was. Can you elaborate on your experience with Intuit? Yeah, absolutely. So just to recall, I was working as a technical product management intern, and that was actually my first experience in the tech industry and as in the PM role. Before that, I was working in consulting. So that was uh, mm-hmm. a great uh, learning for me. As like every single day, I was learning new things and new skills, useful for me for my future career. Mm-hmm. And really loved this experience. So this uh, Intuit is a great company with a um, very collaborative and supportive culture and very customer-oriented mm-hmm. uh, approach. So these two things like the great strengths for me and that convinced me to join the company for this summer. And uh, I really liked how PM role is different from the consultant role. Like one guy told me that in consulting, you do some analysis for two weeks and then present it for one month. As a product manager, you do analysis for two hours and then uh, align it for two weeks with others. And uh, that, that's really interesting like, because it's a tot- totally different type of work and uh, very important also. And it was great for me to understand whether it fits for me or not. Yeah. Did you enjoy the collaboration aspect of being a PM versus maybe a more of an independent role as a consultant? I really enjoyed working in a team and uh, a very diverse team of uh, people with, in different roles. So with engineering backgrounds and uh, designers and other product managers, I really loved uh, how people are supportive to me and how people are eager to share their skills and their knowledge and teach me something. So this cultural element of collaboration, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It sounds like the PM work was much more team oriented where as a consultant, it might be more individual. Okay. I actually want to take a step back and ask you about your experience when you were recruiting as an international student, whether it's recruiting for an internship or what you might be doing at the end of this year, which is an actual job or a full-time job. And I just want to ask you, what challenges have you faced as an international student with regards to the recruiting process? Yeah, I would say that recruiting in the United States is so much different from my previous experience. And for mm-hmm. during my first year, I applied uh, to, I would say, hundreds of different positions. And the conversion ratio actually to the invites was about 10%. So I initially, I didn't think that it would be the case. That's why I would say that for like an international student who also wants uh, to switch both geography and function and industry as I did, it's, it's a bit challenging. But I, I would say that it's absolutely possible. And one thing that I, I would do another way is I would not apply to so many companies just uh, sending my resume. Uh, I would love to do more warm applications. Like I, I clearly understood it during my first year how important it is actually to like network with people and uh, build these warm connections with the companies and use some referral programs that companies have. And that's, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a big learning for me. And I, I definitely recommend all the international students who want to make uh, some big pivots in their career to um, use these warm connections. 
That's a great point there. I think this is actually the first time I've heard of the the warm slash cold concept, but it's very apt because you're kind of stressing quality over quantity. And for someone like yourself, and we actually had another student on the show, I think it was Adolfo who mentioned, also actually international student from Spain, and is also doing the triple switch, right? Like new location, um, new role, and uh, new industry. So when you're switching all those at once, I think it definitely helps to have made those like networking connections during recruiting fairs during company info sessions so daniel you are now at the start of your second year we're recording this in the middle of september yeah what are some classes you look forward to taking this term yeah so I already managed to take some very interesting classes during my first year. And so for my second year, I um, uh, wanted to work both on my soft and hard skills. And uh, for the first uh, group of skills, I uh, took the power and politics class, which is uh, really great in terms of understanding how can you uh, perceive yourself and uh, present yourself to others in a more uh, powerful way. Be much more self-aware about what your, your personal strengths and what you need to work on. Mm-hmm. For the hard skills, I took a couple of classes specifically related with startups. It's uh, the startup sales course by Jovat Khan. It's focused on a like, great skill of how actually to sell your product when you're working in a small company which is quite unique and it's hard actually to find some good courses in this area and another course is called lean transfer it's it's an amazing opportunity to work with engineering and phd students who have some quite sophisticated technology and help them to actually commercialize it like find some target customers and help them actually to turn just great technology into a company. So the, these these mm-hmm. are the classes that I wanted to focus on this in in the, my second year. Yeah, that's a very well rounded set of classes. Looking at both, you mentioned both hard and soft skills. So then, I guess that kind of begs the question: Have you thought about your plans after graduation? Uh, yeah, so I'm still kind of reflecting on what I want to do next and uh, what are my long-term priorities. What I definitely understood is that I I would love to stay in the Bay Area for at least several years, and I want to, to be my work related with the tech industry. Um, but I'm still fig- trying to figure out for myself what will be the best role and what will be the best side, whether I want to be on the client side or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's very natural for a lot of us MBA students is, you know, we're on this kind of path to hopefully our eventually calling or career or industry or role. And it seems like you got the industry figured out and you just are narrowing down the role at this point. Cool. So next we have what we like to call our lightning round, which we're just going to do a quick Q&A for a few questions. You mentioned earlier that you had a passion for math. What's your favorite number? It's five. Nice. And what's your favorite math joke? 
I think I, I, I could sound nerdy if, if I would tell my math joke, but it's basically about uh, the fact that if you put eight, like turn it 90 degrees, it will turn into infinity. And oh, I, okay. I, I really like such kind of stupid, but some kind of uh, like uh, beautiful, yeah. like from visual jokes. Don't worry, I, I've got that in my mind now. Awesome. Okay, so what is a shelter-in-place hobby or habit that you picked up? I found this activity of building constructions from whatever I found in my house in the backyard. Very interesting because uh, my hands and my mind totally not related at uh, this point of time. My heads are building something, but my mind is thinking about uh, other things. And that's mm. an uh, interesting experience. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, what is a statue of? Is it a, a person? Is it like a animal or? Actually, it's neither something person or animal. It's just some random, I would say, combination. Uh, it's like a more. <laughs> it's a modern art. I, I like that. Nice. Okay. And then, what was the biggest culture shock, um, other than the shock um, that you from? Russia to the US. Yeah, so I was struggling with the question, how are you doing for a couple of weeks? <laughs> because when in, in Russian you ask, uh, how, uh, how are you doing? It mm -hmm. means that person is actually very interested. <laughs> how are you doing? And, uh, and, and uh, you, you start answering it and then telling what, what, what's in your mind and so on. Right. And, uh, uh, for the first uh, couple of weeks, I could not understand why people are asking how I'm doing and then not listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then the next moment you look up, they're already gone. Yes. Nice. And then lastly, what is your defining leadership principle? Actually, there it's hard for me to choose between two, but I would say probably that questioning the status quo is uh, number one uh, for me. I'm looking on it in a philosophical way. Mm -hmm. So for me, our civilization is developing based on some inventions. Mm -hmm. And whenever some guy is making an invention, he or she, they made, uh, they actually questioned the status quo. So they uh, asked themselves, uh, why should we continue doing things in an old way? Why cannot we do it in a new way? So mm -hmm. uh, folks who are questioning status quo, they actually driving like the progress of our, like of, of the whole humanity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I uh, always stimulate myself to, to challenge the old approaches and to question the status quo in my work and also in my like life. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that's, uh, that's what we like to hear because Berkeley and the Bay Area in the U.S. is one of the most innovative areas, most forward-thinking geography universities in the United States. And I'm glad that that effect that you perceive as well. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Here at Haas. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review. For more Haas podcasts, check out our website at haaspodcasts.org. This episode was produced by Navia Titimiredi, show notes by Ranjani Murthy and Dharmic Patel. I'm your host, Ray Guan, and we'll see you next time here at Haas.